Hello again, it's Noah and John, and we're from Urban Digs, and we are talking Manhattan. John, what do we got today? Well, today we got uh, Jared Randolph and Sean McGinley from Compass. We're at Compass today. Yes, Compass. Thanks, guys. You've heard Pleasure. of it before. Thanks for coming. Pleasure. This, this podcast is more like a new development kind of a podcast. It's just to, uh, you guys are the guys. So I want to start out really high level. What's, what's happening out there in the new development world? Uh, what we're seeing right now in the marketplace are a lot of developers who are negotiating. It's, it's, we're at an interesting turning point. Let's just kind of talk about the macro marketplace. The market is flush with cash. Buyers are waiting on the sidelines, and they're waiting on the sidelines for several reasons. There's a lot of political uncertainty, but it's not just the political uncertainty, it's the market uncertainty. So no one knows what their wealth is going to look like in 12 or 24 months from now. Right. But when we have the conversation about being in a recessionary period, typically when you're in a recessionary period, businesses' revenues are going down and your average household income and wealth is going down. That's not happening right now. Right. So this is a perfect storm of what's happening politically, geopolitically, but also strictly with what's happening with the inventory in our marketplace, mm -hmm. which is causing the consumer to be scared. And what's happening with decision. the inventory? We're producing too much product. In, in the new development arena. In the world. new development arena. I right. mean, and, and here's what you have to look at. So let's just kind of talk about the co-op and condo market, and then we'll, we'll, we'll sure. bring the new development market into, into place. And, and this is what people should always focus on when they're talking about their clients. On the island of Manhattan, and I'll give you percentages, but on the island of Manhattan, there's roughly 750,000 residential properties. Mm -hmm. 250,000 of those are condos and co-ops, 500,000 are rentals. Mm -hmm. Of the 250, about two-thirds, 160,000 cooperatives. About right. 80,000, 85,000 85, are condos. That's not that big of a number, right? okay? And then of the 500,000 that are rentals, 300,000 of those are rent-stabilized, rent-controlled, Mitchell Island government-subsidized housing. Right. We are in an affordable housing market. Right. We're in a low-income housing market, and that's what people don't realize. So you only have 200,000 fair market rentals. You wonder why rentals are so expensive. Yeah. You wonder why pricing for condos and co-ops are so expensive, because we just don't have enough inventory for the demand over the long term. Right. But that's the macro view. That's the macro view. The micro view is... The inventory that's coming to market right now, or is currently on market, is too expensive. Mm. And um, there's reasons that it's too expensive. We can talk about that later on. And there's too much of the too expensive product. Mm -hmm. So the consumers are sitting and waiting to a point where pricing starts to come down and they feel comfortable to jump back into the market. Right. But the only people in this market, and this is really key, who are forced or need to sell are developers of new construction condominiums. Right, and we talk about uh, often that, that buyers in that sector are really probably getting the steepest leverage advantages right now. Well, they, they, and they're going to continue. So right. if you look at it, and, and it's not just making that comment in a vacuum, why is that happening? So we talked about the 250,000 condos and right. co-ops and townhouses mixed in there just on the island of Manhattan. So it's about 33% of the market. And it's actually very similar in Brooklyn. Just there's a little over a million individual residential properties on a percentage basis. It's similar in Brooklyn. That average homeowner has 35% equity in their property. Right. So what does that mean? If the market drops 20%, they don't need to sell. Mm -hmm. So I explain it to clients like this. If you purchased an $8 million property a year ago, probably paid cash, maybe you levered out 50% of it. 
If you live in a property that you purchased 25 years ago for $75,000 right. that's worth $8 million today, it is paid off and you have to cover your, 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 your charges, your carrying charges. Right. No one needs to sell in this market. Right. Okay? So what has happened is we've been flooded with all this new product that's massively overpriced and it's not moving, which is causing a strain in the rest of the marketplace. Is it, is it because they were building too big? And I, I know that like the current trend of development right now, I mean, what they're thinking about building right now takes X years to go through the permitting process. Right. And it takes X years to go through the building process. Right. And then it takes X years to go through the marketing and sales process. Right. And maybe when it's five or six years from the initial let's go with it, maybe they start some closings or something, correct? correct? correct. So what we're seeing now in 2019 is, could be, I'm just asking, I don't know, it could be a function of decisions made in 2014, 2015, 2016, correct? Speak to this. Yes, <laughs> I mean, before we go further into that, I do want to say the other thing that's impacting this market that hasn't really been an impact in, in past down cycles mm -hmm. is, now even Brooklyn's prime neighborhoods mm -hmm. are, there's oversupply and, and now that leads to greater pricing issues. And right. so even in Brooklyn, like the area along Flatbush Avenue, like the prime areas by um, Barclays Center, like Pacific Park, um, even like in downtown Brooklyn and, and Greenpoint, um, there's just, there's these luxury condos that a lot of the Manhattanites that when they got priced out in the last upmarket mm -hmm. moved there. And now there's there's too much inventory there, and mm -hmm. so there's not even this place where you know you're sit, you're talking about people sitting on the sideline. There's not a place where they can they can flee right now that they are comfortable moving to, like they were in the last time. Would they convert to rentals though? I mean, it is probably well. Those, most of them can't because that's not how their equity structure is. And we can talk about the difference between the rental market and the condo market in terms of new mm -hmm. development and multifamily product. Um, later on just to kind of explain how you have to look at the rental market and what the actual available inventory is mm -hmm. versus what the shadow inventory is because they have longer lead times because they have a longer capital structure than somebody who's a condominium developer. But to your point, when these projects were underway four years ago in the beginning stages, if you were to actually track the numbers and why I love what you guys do because you provide great information on numbers, we're data geeks, we love numbers. If you look at the amount of new construction product that was permitted or right. planned, it was roughly 13,000 units four years ago. That should have been a massive red flag to anyone who knows anything about this market, and especially a developer to say, we are going to be oversaturated with inventory, especially when 65% of that was financed, which means it's going to be built. So at any given time, this market can only, or functions in equilibrium for new development, around 4,000 units. Mm -hmm. We're up close to 6,000 units that are on the market or shadow inventory right now. That's why we have nearly four years worth of supply right. in the marketplace. And let's, let's just explain. I'm looking at supply right here for new development on Urban Digs, um, and it's at 1,100. Now, just to explain the difference here. Developers do not just go and put every single unit of inventory Correct. into the RLS system, which is what Urban Digs uses to track supply. Um, a lot of that stuff, um, maybe 70, 80% of it is kept off. So, I mean, do you have any kind of track on I mean, what so, shadow inventory is? So that number you said 11, 1100? That's, that's, this is, this is units that are new development, so it's less than five years old, right? right. And it's listed as active mm -hmm. in the RLS yeah. system and it's been updated. It's been updated in the yeah. last 30 days. If it's not updated in 30 days, I don't count it as well. Because one of the easy, easy color on that, in terms of the percentage of what is shadow inventory, is 
financial district, downtown Manhattan, whatever you want to call it, alone, mm -hmm. there's over 1,100 new development condos in the pipeline, mm -hmm. and 2,600 altogether, including right. what's on the market and, right. and pipeline. Right. So and that's that's just the financial district. And that 6,000 number, you're looking at things that are not, that the developer's not listing, units that they have under contract that they're not listing, and units that are actually right. under construction. Right. So it is, it is one of the right. most difficult markets to get very clear Correct. answers. Right. Yeah. So everybody's going, what's happening in the market today? What's happening in the market today is if we only had if we really only have 1,100 new development units in the market, everything will be selling at $3,000. Oh, no, exactly. Yeah. No one will be, <laughs> be fine. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we're in this, we're in a really weird place in the market yeah. right now where we don't have enough transparency yeah. from anyone in the market, especially those who are involved in new development. And the challenge is, is the consumer doesn't have the data and the information to make an educated decision. The professional agent doesn't have it. And the professional, and the professional agent doesn't have it to guide their client. Yeah. What I can say from experience, because we started working on this four years ago. We put together a private equity fund to basically capitalize on the market today, because we saw the fact that there were too many units that were being produced, yeah. and the same thing that happened in 2009 was going to happen today. And guess what? Contract inventory level turnover signed contracts is at the lowest that it's been yeah. since first quarter 2009. Yeah. Now, that's got to be a little daunting to those who are in the new development market, meaning developers and banks, because guess what? We're not in a recession like we were in a recession in 2008. Yeah. So what's really happening in the market? Too much product, too expensive, no transparency. Right. I mean, John, you had a question you wanted to ask there? Yeah, well, I just want to talk. So one of the things that you talk about transparency, one of the things we're constantly looking at, we don't publish it because it's so in flux is the number of permitted units. So we look at the Schedule A, how many units are coming in, but that Schedule A changes so often and those amendments are difficult to get unless you file a FOIL Act with the, with the, uh, with the Attorney General. It's just, it's not easy to get, so that's right. the first thing. So yeah, transparency is an issue. The second question I had is if you talk about an oversupply, you talk about them too expensive, well obviously they compete on the price level, mm -hmm. but are they competing on the product level as well? I mean, is it, does it make sense to just go so over the top that you're willing to pay that $3,000 a square foot because this is just amazing. Only, Three thousand. Go ahead. Well, only if you if you tick some of the other boxes. You can't just try to build the most amazing, beautiful product, but be mid block. And that was another issue that when when there was this frenzy of high price points, when yeah. things started, everything was two thousand per foot and above. Everyone was like, "Oh, I can do that anywhere." Yeah. That's only that was only achieved on corner lots where you had quadruple exposure, you can build these taller towers and have all of the amenities. And then people were like, okay, I, have, I own something mid-block, I'll, I'll develop something here when there's only windows in the front and back. There's not enough, that you, not enough space to add all these luxury amenities. And so it doesn't really solve it. And that's another, that's another issue that brought on the oversupply. $3,000 a square foot is a mythical number. It's right. a mythical number. What's under contract right now is roughly $2,500 a square foot. And that's in contract that is not transparent, right. full disclosed, whether or not city and state transfer taxes are being covered, mm -hmm. credits are being paid at the closing table, other bonuses are being paid out, or they're getting a storage unit right. or a parking or space. Just regular negotiation. Or well, regular negotiation, sponsors are paying um, for yeah. common charges and right. real but estate even taxes. That, it's just the contract, the contract number is, is really, it's, it's tough to, yeah, it's the last ask, so yeah. what, you, you won't know until, until, it's until it closes. Yeah. Yeah. But if you look at some of the average buildings that have actually finally sold out over the last three or four years, they, I mean, Sterling Mason's one of them, um, 
David and Miriam's building, which they did a beautiful job on 21st Street. Mm -hmm. I mean, those buildings were only selling at eighteen to two thousand dollars a square foot. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't. It's not like these. They were selling at these astronomical, aspirational prices. Right. The consumer is not comfortable with that twenty-five. But didn't, I mean, did, David and Miriam, he built it for that sector. I mean, he, he kind of saw the writing was on the wall. He was a, he was a little ahead of the curve yeah. in, in in terms of what his timing was. So. Yes, he did build for that sector, but it is, it's, the, the fact is, the matter is, most of these guys were still originally trying to, to capture $22 to $2,400 a square foot, right. and they didn't reach it. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I guess here's what I'm wondering. Developers right now are kind of keen to what's going on, right? I mean, the numbers well, they, are starting to show it. They, they have to be because, let's really, again, transparent. We do a lot in the new development marketplace. We have a lot of relationships. Banks are backing away from the market, mm -hmm. meaning lending new money, especially in Manhattan and Brooklyn, which is completely oversaturated. Mm -hmm. And what's happening is a lot of banks are taking back the keys to new development buildings. Yeah, I mean, you see it every day. There's a new inventory every day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I mean, uh, how long is it going to take us to go through this pipeline? Because I imagine the decisions made right now mm -hmm. that these products are not going to come onto the market until 2021, 22. Um, are taking into account the dynamics that we're experiencing right now. Um, they're not would, building big. They're not building super luxury. They're not. I mean, they're not putting all that risk on the you table. You would think so, but in two thousand and twenty and twenty one, there's planned over four thousand. Currently planned over four thousand new construction units to be built. Two thousand twenty alone, condo. Yeah. Two thousand twenty alone, we're going to see probably over two thousand. All right, let's two thousand twenty, two thousand, mm -hmm. two thousand twenty one. 2021 combined are going to be about 4,500. And what about 22? 22, we have not projected out to 22. But there's, too early. There's, there's a, nothing under wow, contract. Wow, that is super, super interesting. There's yeah. some huge projects going on in Brooklyn. you got Essex Crossing here. It's going right. to be another, I mean, there's a, mm -hmm. there's a lot of massive things right. still in the works that are still to come out. But see, the thing is, is, you also have to segment out the marketplace, too. Because if you take a building like what Gary Barnett was doing with One Manhattan Square, every developer wants to sell, but it's an 800-unit building. Gary probably has a four- to five-year sales projection for that. So he doesn't need to sell 800 right. units. Right. He needs to sell really 150 a year to be comfortable. So if we're looking at his building and we're putting in the other 500 units that haven't sold into the market with the rest of the inventory, it's not an actual accurate inventory count. What counts for being on the inventory? It's when a seller needs to sell. What counts for actually being in inventory and active? It's when a seller needs to sell. So if a seller says, oh, I'll put my apartment on for $10 million and we'll see what happens, that is not a real seller. They are not on the market, and they're unfortunately impacting the bottom line of the marketplace. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the shadow inventory can be scary, okay? But the reason the shadow inventory is shadow inventory is because the developer doesn't need to sell that based on their absorption schedule. So we talk about the doom and gloom. You also have to understand the psychology of how the marketplace works. But because right. we're now in this perfect storm of everything looking like it is so horrible and contracts being signed have slowed down, developers are now more so than ever willing to make deals. And what I always advise agents who come to me and say, all right, what's happening in this building? What do I do? I said, make an offer. Get your client to walk through that door and say, give me 15% off. Because guess what? The developer's probably going to take it today. Yeah. What buildings are, are, are doing well? Like, give me, give me um, some hot buildings. 277 Fifth Avenue, 
the new Raphael Vignoli building mm -hmm. by Lynn Lees is really doing well, for, mm -hmm. especially for their yeah. price point. But they're selling at an average of $2,700 a square foot. They're not really negotiating that I that I know. They were the top selling building in 2000. But they're not hurting because they, again, they have all the attributes. They're the tallest yeah. tower on Fifth Avenue. They're Great the distance between Central Park and Washington Square Park. Right. It's right. Raphael Vignoli, got the big name, it has all the amenities. Another one that's doing well, and it's a product of, of where it was built and, and building to that consumer is Vitre. 302 East 96 on the Upper East Side. Yeah. It's not prime Upper East Side, but the developer knew that. He also, it's Eric Rohde, Wonderworks. Mm -hmm. he, he built a great product that's not out there. He built one beds plus home office, mm -hmm. two beds plus home office that are windowed home offices, mm -hmm. but he's building an, a new product type that's not and out the there. Probably, but right still, there that was a huge benefit. And, and the, there's a massive planned community across the street, right yeah. across the street with a couple of schools, new buildings coming up. So if you have the foresight, right. especially as an investor, it's a, it's a great building because there's really solid entry pricing there. Another one of the buildings that's really doing well is the Lindley. I mean, I think they only have nine units yeah. that left out of yeah. out of forty-eight units. Right, that's in Murray. That's Murray um, And I know, you know, that's the, so. That's a building that's doing well. And another one that's really doing well, which kind of kind of surprised me, but it also didn't, just because of what the building itself has to offer. Is Central Park Tower. Yeah. They're actually moving product at Central Park Tower. Um, I will not remotely get into discussing what their numbers are, but they're moving right. product, and they are they're active on a daily basis with people who have real interest. I mean, I've had clients call me about it who I haven't even had a chance to reach out to, mm -hmm. which on but on the global scale. Yeah. Most of your clients are on the buy side. Most of my clients are on the buy side, and that's normally what most of my business has been. So we still do consulting for a lot of developers, mm -hmm. um, kind of behind the scenes, right. as an in-house yeah. uh, representative for them. And then we sell a lot of new development product to investors. And your buyers, investors. I mean, do they, for the most part, buy new development? or For the most part, they buy new development, are direct buyers that yeah. we work with. Now, I run a team of, of nine at Compass, and we do literally right. everything from property management to sales, leasing, That's great. investment advising. But what we actually do on a daily basis is a lot with new development. Yeah, and yeah. we also have developers that are, that are doing multifamily um, in, in Brooklyn. I'm looking at the last market. six months in Manhattan. New development closings, 178 of them, $1,800 a square foot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Isn't, isn't it, now, that's a nice number. That's a real number. Yeah. So everybody's trying to sell you on this $2,500, $2,700 square foot number for a building that is an eight-story building yeah. with no views yeah. Yeah. in a fringe neighborhood. It is not going to happen. Yeah. So again, it's about transparency and being honest yeah. about what can and can't be done, whether you were the developer or someone representing the developer, yeah. and us communicating broker to broker. Right. At the end of the day, if you go out and you're broker A and you're broker B and you sell more new development apartments, it only helps me because it's increasing the values, pushing the marketplace up for the values that I've sold my clients who are investors. Mm -hmm. It's also bringing down the amount of inventory. So how do we all get there? Everyone needs to go out tomorrow and give developers offers at 15% off. And just see what happens. And there's a lot of people who probably won't, won't admit it nor like that I'm saying that, but the point is, is the only way this inventory will ever move yeah. is the same way it moved from 2009 to 2011 yeah, at a but discount. But the only problem is, is that uh, see buyers, uh, uh, 
they don't, they're not just going to put a bid in for something just for sake of actually doing it. And, this, and the brokers also are kind of a little, they don't want their reputation kind of being spread amongst the industry of I'm, I'm putting these fake bids in. Just to well, see no, I'm not out. talking about fake bids. I'm talking about most brokers that I know have buyers that are sitting on the sidelines gotcha. waiting for something they don't, to they happen. They don't know that uh, 15% They're not aware. Yeah, and that's they're not that's aware of it. one of the questions yeah. I want to talk about is because if you have a buyer, I mean, a lot of buyers are sort of set in their ways like, oh, I'm looking for a co-op on the Upper East Side. Like, how, right. how do you talk to a client who might be focused on one particular neighborhood, one particular property type, and you know that maybe new developments might be a good fit for them, but they're not, it not something they What's that conversation look it's like? It's dollars and cents, and it depends on what kind of consumer they are. Now, if they're looking for that particular product, they're not going to waiver for that particular product. But if numbers really mean something to right. them, and you can get them something that is equivalent in new development, you can push and show the value of buying a new development. But there's one thing that everyone should remember when speaking with your clients. The bottom is not falling out of the New York City market. Right. And it's, there's one reason, and one reason only. We are a highly under-leveraged market. Right. From the standpoint of private ownership, those 250,000 yeah, units, 35% equity. Yeah. If we look at the commercial market, so we've got Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, alone with 175,000 commercially zoned properties. Good point. Yeah. The average owner has owned their properties for 41 years. 41 years. There is no leverage in New York. Right. There is too much money in the brick and mortar in this city for this city to go anywhere other than to flatline right. or eventually We're also go. a highly non-speculative market. Yes. Given the co-op nature of this marketplace, we really don't have that like Miami type of exposure when right. these things. By the way, just to your point, Jared, um, again, these six months of sales, 8.5% listing discount. Eight and a half, so, so developers going down almost 9%. Is that in tune with what you're seeing on it's, the buy side? It's in tune with what I'm seeing on the buy side. However, it's not calculating in. A lot of them are prepaying uh, common charges and real estate taxes, giving storage bins, Monthly giving spring. other incentives. So right. that 9% is probably closer to 12%. Right. With the, because that's the discount off the price. It doesn't include them right. paying the city and state transfer tax gotcha. as well. I mean, so some it, developers yeah. are doing that across the board in all of their buildings. They're doing these massive incentives. It's not just like the, hey, we're paying brokers 4%, which right. you know, obviously is a ploy to get brokers in the door. But it's also, it's, they're, they're doing like one or two years. They're paying your city and state transfer taxes on the closing, but they're also paying one or two years common charges. Gotcha. Taxes. So if you're, if you're a new broker and you're not used to new development, how do you ask for these things? You just ask for them? I mean, well, you, a lot you, of things you, aren't advertised. So you, how do you, you ask for them, yeah. and you structure them intelligently. It might be, Mr. Developer, I want 8% off the asking price, so you protect the pricing integrity for the building, mm -hmm. but I need you to pay my city, state, and transfer taxes. So that's gonna pick you up another 3%. Okay. Um, and then you might have them throw in a storage unit, which is maybe half a percent. So you're now in an 11, 12% discount on an apartment that the market's only seeing 8% on the front side. That's how you get deals like that done. Now, what's happening is, and what's gonna be interesting, and even I don't know what's gonna happen, a lot of the banks are now taking the keys back from the developers. It's not being announced, it's very quiet, but they're the ones who are now looking at the contracts and offers. Now when the banks start to get involved, the banks wanna start liquidating product. Mm -hmm. And there's some lenders in the market who are starting to get hurt mm -hmm. with the way that they've structured these deals. And the loan to own is, is very cute and adorable if you can actually sell the property. Interesting. Otherwise, the banks are going to lose their shirt too, right. so they're going to start selling at discounts. Is it, are we in panic mode on that? Or just, is this just, just a quiet kind of small it is. It is. I think there's a more, much more of a sense of urgency than – I know there is much more of a sense of urgency than anyone is letting on. I wouldn't say it's a panic okay. mode. 
Gotcha. Is it right. different in Brooklyn than it is in Manhattan for some of these? I know a lot of places out when you start talking about sort of eastern edges of Brooklyn, like when you get past Bed-Stuy, Bushwick in there, you had a lot more of like these sort of fly-by-night conversions. I don't want to say it in a bad way. Well, no, I mean, you have to be one thing. SROs, you have to be very the next careful. thing you know, they're condos yeah. the next day. That's, I mean, that's where there's opportunity. I yeah. mean, that's, that's where right. you, people should be looking to buy because, again, Brooklyn, the primary neighborhoods have been priced out. Like, the, the largest building that was approved in Brooklyn this year, 18th, 6th Avenue, Park Pacific mm-hmm. Park, that was going to be 500 rentals and over 200 condos. They just changed the filing. It's going to be all rental now because right. they saw there's, they were early exactly. enough and they saw there wasn't a need it. for condo there. But you can still, in like Bushwick, Bed-Stuy, Crown Heights, in that seven to $850 per foot price yeah. range, get like a really nice two, three bedroom starter home. There's one thing that I would caution though when you're looking at the Brooklyn market in particular mm-hmm. is the quality of the product and the reputation of the developer. Because yeah. a lot of that product, I wouldn't sell it. A lot of it's first time developers, right? Yeah. Yeah. right? Okay, and that's one thing you really have to look out at for Brooklyn and that's just that's just being frank and honest about what's right. happening in that market. That, that's great advice, good stuff. Sean McGinley, Jerry Randolph, this is awesome. We're at Compass, it's Noah and John, we're at Urban Digs, we're talking Manhattan and we'll catch you next time.